0: Hello everyone, welcome to the latest installment in the IAG podcast series hosted by the International Arbitration Group at Freshfields. My name is Patrick Schroeder, I'm an arbitration partner in the Freshfields Hamburg office. Today I am joined by Niamh Linewater and Desiree Brantel, two principal associates in the Vienna office and also members of the International Arbitration Group.
1: Hi Patrick, hi everyone. Hi there,
0: great to be here. The three of us are going to talk about two issues, data protection and cybersecurity in the context of arbitration. Over the last few years, we've seen a proliferation of modern data protection laws, which has largely contributed to the complexity of cross-border disputes today. The GDPR is the most important development in data protection law for our international practice, worldwide, not only European. There has been a lot of discussion about GDPR issues since it has entered into force on the 25th of May 2018. In almost every walk of life, we are being confronted with consent requirements established by the GDPR. You have seen it when you are subscribing to mailing lists online, but you will also be confronted with GDPR requirements when you visit your doctor or dentist. In the corporate context, it is no different. Large corporations are vigilant uh, of the provisions of the data uh, data protection laws, not least because of the significant fines that non-compliance entails. Recent fines for non-compliance in Europe have ranged between 20 to 50 million euros. Let's talk about what the GDPR actually safeguards in simple terms. What data is covered by the GDPR and what type of processing is permitted? Daisy, over to you.
2: Thank you, Patrick. Basically, the GDPR prohibits the processing of personal data and of special categories of personal data. So personal data is defined in the regulation as any information relating to an identified or identifiable natural person. In practice, this includes the name, date of birth and the address of an individual. But it also extends to information that can be attributed to a natural person. For example, the fact that a person attended a meeting as well as his or her statements in that meeting. Of course, this also includes emails in which a person is mentioned, or emails sent from or to that person. It is important to note that the GDPR applies as soon as the person's identity can be deduced. The person's name does not necessarily have to be mentioned. From this follows that the GDPR does not apply where no reference to a natural person can be established. For example, when the data only relates to legal entities. As I mentioned earlier, there are also special categories of personal data. To give you an idea, this includes data revealing the ethnic origin, political opinions, religious or philosophical beliefs. And it also extends to data concerning the health of an individual. I also mentioned at the beginning that the GDPR prohibits the processing of this data.
1: So Neef, could you please explain what processing means? Sure, Desiree. The definition of processing and the regulation is actually quite broad. It includes any dealings with personal data, such as collecting, recording, organizing, storing, adapting, and deleting. So processing obviously applies to the processing by automated means, but it also includes old-fashioned paper filing systems. The GDPR generally prohibits the processing of personal data, so data can only be processed if one of the legal justifications specified in the GDPR applies. Desiree, would you like to give us an idea of what those legal justifications are?
2: Well, Niamh, the most obvious justification that comes to mind is for the data controller to simply ask the data subject for consent for the processing of his or her personal data. But the data subject can at any time withdraw consent, and that raises a problem. In addition, when we consider consent in large cross-border disputes, it will often be practically impossible to obtain the prior consent from all potentially involved data subjects. Take for example, when we are preparing a request for arbitration. If it is necessary to refer to natural persons who still are employed by the opposing party, Council would have to obtain their consent in advance. This would reveal to the opposing party that it is about to be served, which may not be in claimant's interest. So consent is not really a viable option. A more solid legal basis for the lawful processing of personal data are the legitimate interests of a data controller, if they are not overridden by the interests or fundamental rights and freedoms of the data subject. And for the processing of special categories of personal data, the GDPR provides for a different legal basis. Processing this data is permitted if it is necessary for the establishment, exercise or defense of legal claims, or whenever courts are acting in their judicial capacity. I should have mentioned that the regulation refers to courts, but not to arbitration proceedings. However, there is a general understanding that the exemptions equally apply to
1: arbitration. I'd just like to add there, Desiree, that clients should be aware that even if they have a legal justification for the processing of data, they must nonetheless adhere to the general principles provided for in the regulation. So, the GDPR mentions, for example, the concept of data minimization. This requires that the amount and type of personal data processed is adequate, relevant and limited to what is necessary for the purpose of the processing. Let's imagine a scenario whereby a client um, in preparation for an arbitration collects a number of email inboxes of those individuals involved in the transaction. In order to adhere to the data minimization principle the personal data contained in the inboxes should be relevant to the pers- purpose of bringing or defending the claim, and it should be limited to what is necessary to fulfill this purpose. So, from a practical point of view, clients can conduct a so called data scrub, whereby they limit the volume of data collected. Now, this can be done by simply searching within a specific period of time or limiting the search to specific employees. So, in general, clients would be well advised to limit the amount of personal data that they transfer to counsel. Another point worth mentioning is that the GDPR does not apply to the arbitration proceedings as such, but it applies to the participants of the arbitral proceedings. So, it applies to the parties, to the legal counsel, to the arbitrators and to the arbitral institutions. And this requires that these data controllers in the proceedings assess whether the regulation applies to them. If it does, they must take the necessary measures to ensure that they are compliant before the authorities. This means that other players in the proceedings, and as we all know, there are many, such as witnesses, experts, translators, court reporters, and the tribunal secretaries, also have to consider what the GDPR requires from them and how they can ensure compliance.
0: So, in the arbitration context, let's take a look at what parties and counsel have to do and to consider in order to ensure compliance with the GDPR. Before even filing a claim, vast amounts of data have to be reviewed in the context of a merits review and in order to advise the client on the correct next step. A lot of this information contains personal data. Niamh already mentioned emails which regularly contain personal data and have to be dealt with in line with GDPR. We would therefore recommend that clients collect and review vast amounts of data internally, conduct the data scrubs, and minimize the data transferred to counsel in the first place. Niamh, can you please elaborate on what other measures are necessary at this stage and once the arbitration has been commenced?
1: Sure, Patrick. So, Privacy notices are one of the first issues that comes to mind. So privacy notices explain to current and potential data subjects why and how their personal data is processed and what rights they have. So we always ask clients before commencing an arbitration whether they have compliant privacy notices in place. Then in the next step, we usually sit down with our clients and conduct what we call a so-called data mapping exercise. So the purpose of this exercise is to get an overview of all data records relevant to the arbitration. So it's essentially necessary to establish where the data that will be processed during the arbitration is located, and where that data will be transferred in the course of the arbitration. So say for example, if one of the arbitrators is seated outside of the European Union, in a so-called third country, then the transfer of data to this third country requires additional measures. There are of course exceptions. Additional measures are not required in jurisdictions where the European Union has a number of so-called adequacy decisions in place. For example, Switzerland, Japan and New Zealand. So if your arbitrator is seated in Switzerland, no additional measures will be necessary. If the data, however, is transferred to a country where no adequacy decision is in place, then appropriate safeguards are required. And this can be solved in the arbitration context with standard contractual clauses. The question of third-country transfer is one of the many issues that should be addressed at the case management conference. Maybe Desiree, you could elaborate on that.
2: Yes, Nif, sure. The case management conference is the perfect forum to proactively discuss these points with the tribunal and the opposing counsel. It is advisable to record these issues in a so-called data protection protocol. This is just one of many issues actually that could be included in the data protection protocol. For instance, if the parties have agreed on U.S.-style discovery and particularly in large and complex cross-border arbitrations, the data protection protocol should address it as it involves disclosure and the processing of personal data. Parties could also include mechanisms to ensure compliance with data protection provisions. For example, secure file transfer, although that has become commonplace in international arbitration practice anyway. It is also worth addressing insurance and indemnity considerations to manage the risk of non-compliance. And finally, even at this early stage, data minimization in relation to the
1: award should be discussed with the tribunal. That's a good point, Desiree, because when an arbitral award has been rendered, the GDPR doesn't cease to apply. There are specific requirements as to how long the data collected can be retained and how such data must be erased. Personal data relevant for arbitral proceedings may be kept for the purposes of annulment proceedings or during enforcement proceedings. It will also be justified to keep that personal data to comply with retention periods under various laws such as professional, tax, commercial, or employment laws. Whether or not data has to be retained should be assessed by each participant individually. Of course, different retention periods may apply depending on the data protection laws in your relevant jurisdiction.
0: Now turning to the issue of cybersecurity. The rise in attempted attacks on cross-border data transfers over the recent years, highlights the need for stringent information security measures. This is relevant in the disputes context as well as for clients' business transactions generally. Some arbitral institutions have already responded to the requirement for secure file transfers by offering innovative solutions. As an example, the Arbitration Institute of the Stockholm Chamber of Commerce, SCC, has provided a secure digital platform for communication and file sharing that went live in September 2019. Likewise, the Thai Arbitration Institute, TAI, is also among the digital platform pioneers with an e arbitration system in operation since July 2019. The leading European institutions such as the ICC, the LCIA, or the DIS have not yet set up such platforms. However, we expect to see them following the lead of the SEC and the TAI or offering alternatives. However, offering such platforms brings with it a significant liability list, a risk that major institutions may be reluctant to expose themselves to. So, in most cases, the honours will be likely continue to fall on the parties and the law firms to suggest appropriate safeguards and secure data platforms during arbitral proceedings, as is current practice. However, also arbitral tribunals should think about the issue of data protection and suggest ways to secure safe communication wherever appropriate. Looking to 2020 and the future, we expect to see an increased awareness of personal data protection and cybersecurity issues as well as heightened efforts to ensure compliance in these fields. We have the expertise to tackle the new challenges that our clients may face with the involvement of the data landscape and the threat of cybercrime. Well, that brings us to an end of the Data Protection and Cybersecurity podcast as part of our International Arbitration podcast series. Thanks a lot everyone for listening and thanks to my colleagues Desiree and Neve for joining me and sharing their views and experiences. Thank you.
2: Thanks Patrick. Thank you.